Well, welcome, welcome to quieter night. I think everyone must have been washed away in the rain today. We had a bit of a quieter morning as well. Um, I hope you've survived the rain, your house isn't flooded, and uh, good on you for getting to church tonight. Um, Glad just pop them in, those, in the white letter box at the end, and we'll email you. And um, it's just great that we have, I think we have 1,200 Baptist churches in Australia, about 400 plus in, in our state. And so when things happen, we can get resources to people who are right at the coal front, which is great. All right. Well, lots going on. Let's pray. We should pray on Thursday. That is really good. I'm glad we're doing that. And um, just want to check there's no kids here tonight. No? Good? Okay. Bit of a sensitive topic. <laughs> we had one kid who was in here this morning. I was like, I think you should go to kids' church. Because we're going to be talking about some more adult stuff this evening. I want to start today's sermon in our series on what did Jesus teach? Um, and we're going to speak on lust. Um, one of the benefits of preaching through books of the Bible is you don't need to be topical because all the topics come up eventually. And so you do the Sermon on the Mount and it's not long before you get into this pretty full-on topic, but incredibly helpful topic on lust. So I want to remind you as we kick off how for you Jesus is. He is so, so for you. And I think it's important to remember that. You know, today's passage is probably one that cuts close to home for a lot of people. Um, either it's something you struggle with or are affected by. So a reminder, Jesus is so, so for you. He preaches on this in his Sermon on the Mount because he longs for you not to be bound by sin, but to experience freedom. And that's why he wants your life and your heart in order that you might be set free and become a part of this renewed humanity, which he is creating here on earth. Um, and so he's for your relationships. He is for their sanctity. And he wants to save you from sin in order that you may flourish. Um, this is what being salt and light in the world looks like. Yeah, it's about our good deeds, but it's also about being righteous and set apart. So um, apparently, um, everyone here at church has a copy of Playboy in their pockets tonight. Um, did you know that? Um, if you've got a phone in your pocket, you've got access, right, to uh, over a billion pages of pornographic material. Um, that's pretty confronting. Victoria went to a seminar on children, technology, and porn. Someone asked, at what age should you allow a kid to have a phone? And the speaker's answer was, give your kid a phone when you are ready for them to have access to pornography. And that was confronting, particularly this morning. So, we live in a sex-saturated world. And like gambling, alcohol, drugs, um, you know, pornography, lust, can become an addiction that can consume your life. And it can change your brains. And we've got a photo of us, um, they do a scan of brains. And here's your brain where it's normal and healthy and not getting all the dopamine. And then here's your brain on heroin. And here's your brain on pornography. You know, that's, that's what it does. It takes control of the neurons and the pathways. And it is a genuine uh, thing that can be an addiction. The struggle is real for so many. Who would have thought we'd be talking about this at church? Come on, this is good. Um, the stats are scary. 
79% of men, 18 to 30, actively seek out pornography weekly, uh, on, or even more often than that. Um, women are not, you know, this is not just an issue for men. Um, a third of visitors to pornographic websites are now women. And first access to porn is now estimated to be at around 11 to 12 years of age. Isn't that scary? 11 to 12 and kids are able to access this stuff. Porn sites receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon and Twitter combined every single month. Right? And you think how much Netflix you watch. There must be a lot of other stuff getting watched. Uh, and this is where it gets serious. You know, a 2015 study found that consumption of porn was significantly associated with increases in verbal and physical aggression uh, amongst males and females alike. We're talking domestic violence, right? And so that's the knock-on effect of this addiction that our society has. So scary stuff. And a lot of men, particularly, um, come and see me and they say their addiction to sexual images often leaves them feeling shameful, um, it hurts their relationships with their partners, and it damages their spiritual lives. Yet amazingly, I was reading the ABC website today in the news, and there was an article, and there was this like professor saying, porn's not that bad for young people. And I was like, come on, mate, you've got no idea. I read 56% of divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. Right? This is what this is what busts couples up. So we want to get real at church tonight and tackle this complex, damaging area of modern life that I think affects all of us either directly or indirectly. And if statistics are right, there's lots of people at church who walk around with this shame. Um, and the consequences of not dealing with it, as I said, are very damaging. Um, I remember a friend um, talking to me about a couple at his church who just suddenly disappeared and they suddenly separated. Um, neither came and spoke to them. They just wouldn't return his messages. Through the grapevine, you were kind of hearing you know, accusations and finger pointing in all kinds of directions. But then eventually what really came out as the heart of the issue was an addiction to pornography that had been discovered. And what a mess. You know, feelings of betrayal, shame, followed by separation, fights over custody and finances. It's been said that porn titillates and then it assassinates. And, you know, I just see that time and time again. It, 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 it's something that people seem to get obsessed about and enjoy and then all of a sudden it's made a mess of their lives. So does Jesus talk about this? He does. And he talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. In this sex-saturated world. I don't think he, I don't know, did he envisage we'd all have copies of Playboys in our pockets on our phones? You know, like, all have access to that? I don't know. But Jesus goes after this. Let's have a look. Matthew 27. Sorry, Matthew 5, 27 to 30. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Uh, just a little side note, we talked about hell there. That was the name for the trash heap outside of Jerusalem where, you know, things are a big fire and things would be consumed. So I don't know if he's necessarily talking about your eternal salvation here, but he is talking about this is the state of what happens to people whose lusts go unchecked. So before we launch into this, some things for the past couple of weeks. We're doing a series after all. Um, firstly, a reminder, don't separate the preacher on the mount from the servant on the mount. You know, Jesus says in John came in grace and truth. And the, the truth of the Sermon on the Mount is such a high bar of ethical living. And it can feel like, you know, if we separate it from Jesus, like oppressive legalism or frustrating idealism. But remember, this is Jesus who hung out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors, who showed incredible mercy on the broken. Um, next reminder, this sermon is about the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Um, go back, Justin, you can start that last slide. Um, this is about the kingdom of heaven. Um, I don't have time to do a theology of the kingdom, but needless to say that Jesus is establishing his reign and rule on earth. And that's why he kills the sick, casts out evil. That's why he teaches uh, like he does. This is what it looks like when heaven invades earth and, 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 and has a realm here on earth. Um, we talked about what righteousness means last week, right-relatedness. Um, the righteousness that Jesus says must surpass the religious teachers if we're to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about righteousness being this relational world. Um, we get righteous with God when that relationship is restored. We get righteous with one another when there's no death, when there's nothing outstanding. That's why Jesus went after anger, because he doesn't want stuff to separate us as a community. He wants righteousness. He wants right relatedness. And um, just like the Greg Beach said this week, which I really liked about not entering the kingdom of heaven, he said to me, this is not about salvation again, but this is about, you know, if your righteousness doesn't surpass the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Like, you won't enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of heaven. I thought that was so good from Greg. The reason Jesus wants righteousness is because the right relatedness brings the right, brings the, the life of the kingdom of heaven into our world. That's why Jesus went after anger, right? If your life's riddled with anger and unreconciled relationships, you're not entering into your inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? Thank you, Greg. So he said, how might our righteousness exceed the Pharisees? Well, you might keep the whole law your entire life. You never murder anyone. You never commit adultery. But Jesus is saying your heart could be riddled with anger and unreconciled relationships or, or, or consumed with lust. And so that's the inherent meaning of the law and of righteousness. All right, and then finally, as we set up today, um, from what we've been learning so far, a reminder that this sermon is Jesus saving you from your sins. So Jesus saves you from your sins on the cross. We know that, right? His death on the cross destroys the separation that we have between our Creator and us. But the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saving us from our sins. Right? Do you believe that? Um, Jesus wants to save you from your sins, this side of heaven. And, and remember, He's saving us from the diminished life. 
the life that is consumed by anger or lust or a lack of reconciliation. So Jesus is saving us in these teachings. So Matthew 5, 27, 28, next slide, Gussie. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, my lecturer, Daryl Johnson, has been a big help to me in this series so far. He reminds us that Jesus doesn't say these things to shame us um, or to guilt us into better behaviour. Uh, nor does he go after lust and adultery to rob us from the joy of living. Jesus says these things to heal us, to set us free, to make us whole. Jesus says this because he wants to protect your marriage. He wants to protect the sanctity of your relationships. You know, at another point in his teaching, Jesus reminds us that marriage is a blessed and sacred union uh, between a man and a woman to the absolute exclusion of all others. For life, within which we get to enjoy sexual intimacy. You know, if you've read the Old Testament book, Song of Songs, there's a few blushing moments because <laughs> God obviously delights in our sexuality and our physicality and the intimacy that we can enjoy within marriage. But sex, right, at times it's still a very primal urge. You know, in this sex saturated world, it's such a temptation. And therefore, we want marriage to be protected and cherished and honoured before God. You know, wouldn't it be amazing if we all had a clean sheet in this regard? You know, if we just went through our lives just, just so in tune with the kingdom of heaven that this wasn't an issue. Uh, but it's tough, isn't it? It's difficult. You know, I know before I got married, you know, Victoria was the first person I had sex with. But I certainly got loads and loads wrong in this regard. And my guess is, you know, most of us can identify with, you know, the woman caught in adultery brought before Jesus and, you know, they're, they're wanting to stone her to death. And Jesus says to them, you know, you without sin cast the first stone. Says the oldest first began to leave, just leaving the woman and Jesus. And Jesus kind of you know, kneels down and says, you know, does anyone accuse you? Neither do I condemn you. And then he says, now go, leave your life of sin. So that's where we are in that story, aren't we? So we said last week, this section is called the fulfillers. Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, let's go even further to all the way to the inner condition of lust in your heart. Jesus is working here with the full implication of the meaning of the seventh of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. And the teachers of the law thought that they were fulfilling that by getting all the way through life, never having slept with a woman who wasn't their wife. And Jesus says there's more to it than that. I've come to fulfill this. And once again, I'm actually going to go after your heart. So whoever even looks lustfully violates the inherent meaning of this command. There's a lot at stake here, right? Maybe you committed adultery and so you know the shame and brokenness and hurt that that brings to people around you. Or maybe you've been cheated on and you know the devastating consequences of betrayal. But Jesus is saying if you don't want to get to there, then tackle the issue of lust within your heart. Adultery starts with lust. We sow thoughts and those thoughts become actions 
And then before we know it, those actions have become our destiny. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, he's not just talking about the casual glance at a beautiful woman or a man walking past. Uh, the Greek word for lust after is epithemia. And epithemia means the desire to possess. Right? To have which is not your own and to take it and to consume it. So this is beyond appreciation, the wanting to own, to take hold of and have way as your desires unchecked would go. Maybe the expanded wording of this verse would better be, whoever keeps on looking at a woman in order to lust after her or him has already committed adultery with them in their hearts. The Protestant reformer Martin Luther, he said, your lustful thoughts are going to come. You know, but it's what we do with those thoughts that matter. He said you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop the bird from making a nest in your head. There you go, a little bit of 16th century German humour. So Jesus challenges not just to external conformity to the law, not to commit adultery, but to the inner condition of lust. What a protector of our lives he is. This Jesus is so, so for you and I. He's going to go after what truly diminishes us and our lives and our relationships. Because the problem with lust unchecked is it shifts our attention and desires off of our spouse and onto another who we do not belong to. We epithemio them. We desire to possess another which is not our own. So that could be pornography on the internet. It could be a sex scene in a movie. It could be imagining getting it on with a work colleague or a neighbour. Right? Maybe if some of the women, it might be imagining a husband who's so much better than the one that you've got right now. Victoria never does that. <laughs> but that is why lust is so dehumanizing. Right? In your appetite to titillate over the image or thought of a naked person or people having sex, you are reducing them to an object just for your own pleasure. And you know, like some of the scary stuff around this is, I was reading this way, that so many of the images that we're looking, like apparently there's a big website called Pornhub, and a lot of the images on that are actually girls who are trafficked, right? They're not there because they love filming stuff, right? These are people who are sex trafficked, who are being dehumanized. All right, so moving on. Jesus says, take some drastic action. So important is winning this battle that if your right eye causes you to stumble, if your hand causes you to sin, gouge it out, cut it off. Tough words. They're probably the toughest words from Jesus in all of the New Testament. And because what is at stake is the wholeness of your soul and the bonds of your relationship. Now, is Jesus being literal here? Uh, I, I don't think he is, because you know, we all know we can fantasize with our eyes closed. And I think he's using a bit of humor here, to be honest. Like he's saying, how drastic you got to be? I'll show you how drastic you got to be. But he is talking about the serious need for action. 
So deadly is unchecked lust that it would be like treating an amputated leg with a band-aid. So if this struggle is real for you, uh, or real for someone around you, how do we break the cycle and get whole? And I want to suggest three quick things as we finish tonight. Firstly, take drastic action by guarding your eyes. A little bit later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, uh, Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. So Jesus says the eye is the lamp into the body. The eye is the gatekeeper to the health of the rest of who you are. So what we focus on, what we give our vision to, impacts the health of your life. It is through our eyes uh, that our bodies will get filled with light or they'll get filled with darkness. So guard your eyes. You know, what are we to avoid? We'll, we'll, we'll do a stop take of the last month. What are the things that you could really do without looking at? And yes, I'm talking about pornographic magazines. Yes, I'm talking about movies that are unhelpful. But maybe it's books. Maybe for you it's better homes and gardens. You're lusting after a life that is beyond you. Who knows? But it's all the stuff going into your mind that can make your body dark. You know, the enemy's intention is to blind us to truth, to corrupt our minds, and he uses our eyes to gain entrance into our hearts. You know, all kinds of evil is paraded in front of us. All kinds of temptation is. When did girls in Manly start wearing their swimmers right up their bums? Have you seen that? Right? Well, that's happened in my lifetime. But there's just temptation everywhere. Right? And it's on the internet. It's on TV. It's everywhere you look. And so you've got to get this darkness out of your mind. You know, be careful what you read, what you, what you look at, what images you let your eyes linger upon. Um, I think I shared this before. I'm incredibly prudish with what I let my eyes see. Um, not everyone always agrees with my stance on this, and this is my stance. You don't have to take it, but it's helped me. But I got to the place 10 years ago where I decided for my own spiritual health and the sake of I just got married um, to cut out seeing any form of nudity that wasn't my wife, right? So I got rid of watching any movie that has nudity in it. Um, I'm not just talking about the horrendous scourge of this pornography, but even movies with sex scenes, I just don't watch anymore. Because my eyes are the window to my soul. And the only nude woman whose image I want in my mind is my wife. And she's beautiful. Now that may seem really over the top, but I'd say from my perspective, I am missing out on nothing. And I am gaining everything by guarding my eyes. You know, your thoughts become actions, become habits. I'd rather miss a few films and keep my mind clean than have to see every current Oscar winner or whatever it is. So if that's something you struggle with, let me encourage you. Look into internet filters. Put computers in public places. Just be careful. I want to recommend a website to you called netsanity.com. That was the best one I came across this week with filters and how to make sure you can't access stuff on your phones, computers, tablets. Netsanity.com. Netsanity.com. 
calm. I heard a pastor say this way, why resist a temptation in the future when you have the power to eliminate it today? Is that good? Can someone say amen? Right? Eliminate a future temptation with taking drastic action today. Build some muscle around this area of your life. But it comes through training our minds, living according to the Spirit, getting strong in this area. You know, it's been over 20 years since I've seen a pornographic image. I've just cut it out. I don't say all that kind of stuff triumphantly. Like, you never know what temptation tomorrow is going to bring, right? You know, I'm never going to sin again. But it's been 20 years. And to be honest, it's not even a temptation for me anymore because I've built spiritual muscle in this particular area. All right. Second drastic action, bring your sin into the light, just briefly. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. That's the promise of God. Concealing any type of sin could be greed or lust or anger. Any type of sin always comes back and bites us in the butt. Right? We do not prosper. And, and the tragic consequences of unconfessed sin in people's lives always bubbles to the surface. But if we bring the hard bits of our lives into the light by confessing and renouncing, it says we find mercy. How good is our God? And we'll find mercy if we confess to one another too. You know, no one in this church is going to publicly shame you or stone you to death, you know, whatever the modern equivalent would be. When we confess and we bring stuff into the light, we, we receive mercy. We receive the goodness of God. So I just simply encourage you, find accountability for this or any other type of sin in your life. Confess to God, confess to someone safe and who's an encourager in your life and begin healing. Because what's brought into the light loses its power. Amen? But what we do in the darkness... Create shame and yeah. Alright, third final thing tonight, coming into lands. Uh, flee. You know the Sunday school story, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Potiphar, the Egyptian official's wife, tempts him. She says, Hey Joseph, come on, let's get it on. And Joseph, what does he do? He doesn't say, Hey, let's just be friends and keep chatting. You know, no. He flees and runs out of the room in the other direction. And for that, she then accuses him and he takes the consequences and he goes to jail. Right? That's why it says in 2 Timothy 2, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace. Right? Run away from the evil stuff and pursue the good stuff. And your life will improve. Your life will have faith, love, and peace. Alright, so as I close, if you want to take drastic action, guard your eyes, live in the light, flee temptation. What happens? What happens? Um, there's a really good article on the net, I just Google it, what porn does to your brain and how to quit. Talks about a 90-day period is how long it takes to retrain your brain. 90 days. First week, first couple of months, it's not going to be easy, right? You're going to miss all of those dopamine hits that pleasuring yourself and watching those images gives you. 
Um, you're going to have anxiety. You're going to have heightened, probably, stress levels. Uh, you may have setbacks in those first weeks and months. And it says, but after three months, you're actually retraining the wires of your brain. And you're retraining your brain away from needing those dopamine hits. And then you begin to find emotional stability and peace and wholeness in this area of your life. And after three months, if you, if you put up the fight, if you have accountability, if you guard your eyes, if you run in the other direction, you'll begin to build some spiritual muscle in this area. That's my story. Right? I've got lots of stuff I struggle with, but this is not one of them because I've got strong in this area. Now, obviously, no life this side of heaven is completely full of light and life, right? That's why we need Jesus. Amen? We need each other. We need a gracious community in which to do this. We are complex and complicated souls. You know, so many people who have addictions in this area. It's because of a, a wound that's happened at some stage in their life, right? People don't just wake up one day and go, let's have an addiction for breakfast, right? We, 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 life is tough. Life is tough, right? We're works in progress. And we are Christians because God first loved us, not because we have it all worked out. And Jesus is the only one who lived perfectly. He's the only one who truly knew what it was to live purely in the light. But we are being brought into a kingdom of life. And we've got to cooperate with this process by keeping our attention on healthy things in order to live light, life-filled lives. So, let me just finish today the way we finished last week. You know, when Jesus said, are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Then I promise you, you will be filled. Are we starting to see what hungering and thirsting for righteousness looks like? Right? This is the bones of it. So don't just hear this and move on and say it's just too hard or maybe I'll get to the end of my life and not have committed adultery so at least I'll have kept the law. Don't settle for lusts and addictions. You know, Jesus is calling you higher. Jesus is calling you and moving you into the fulfillment of the prophet's and the more. Amen. Let's stand together.